Thank you for your wonderful introduction. I've not had one like that before. And I just wanted to start off with showing that video just for us to get a, a grasp of who Creator God is. How majestic, how mighty, how glorious He is when we look at His great creation. Shall we just pray? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come before you today. We do thank you that we can look into your word, we can look into this psalm that has been read today to learn things about yourself. Lord, we do pray that you will challenge us today, that you will help us to understand that you are the great, the almighty God. You are the King who has revealed himself to this world and is continuing to reveal himself day by day. We thank you that we can know you as king of our lives. We thank you that we can worship you in the way that you require us to. And Lord, we do pray that you will encourage us and challenge us on these things today. Amen. Well, we've looked at, uh, we've read Psalm uh, 98 through. Uh, it is a psalm of encouragement to us. Uh, it's a psalm that reminds us of salvation in many ways. It then goes on to be a psalm that calls us to worship and a psalm that gives us, in the very first few words, a new song. The psalm speaks quite plainly about God as king in the past, in the present and in the future. Uh, in the past, we remember what he has done. Uh, and in the present, uh, we, the present that we can worship him as we should do, and in the future, looking forward to uh, the return and living in the light of the return of, of God. In, in this book, we see that the king, over, uh, over, not in this book, but in the videos that we've just seen, we've seen that, that uh, God. Uh, is the king of over the earth and he has revealed himself to us through creation. The king in this book, in this particular chapter, is revealing himself to us, but he's revealing himself to us through the mighty works of creation. Uh, and it is this that I want to look at to start off with, the mighty works of salvation, how he is revealing himself to us in uh, this present day. Uh, as Ian mentioned, uh, I did speak here, it was almost three years ago since I spoke on that subject of Behold the Lamb. Uh, and as we looked through that talk then, we, we looked at the fact of how God was revealing salvation to the world through the Old Testament. And he was revealing what salvation would be to lost mankind until the fullness of time came and in the fullness of time that is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world who sealed that salvation through his death on the cross. The fallen world at that time was unable to sort of comprehend the terribleness of sin, unable to understand, understand at that time the need of salvation and it was something that needed to be introduced by God in a way slowly starting with Adam and then going through all the different acts and different times where God interacted as he revealed himself through the Old Testament 
till the fullness of time when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and the, 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 the master plan of salvation, salvation was there laid out before all the world for them to see. So, a quick overview of the psalm. I see that it's split into, into three, three parts. The first three verses give us a reason for worshipping God. A very, very important thing that we, we should do is worship God. And the reason we are given for worshipping God in this psalm is to do with the works of salvation. Then, in verses 4 to 8, it talks, and I've referred this, now is the time to worship, it talks about worshipping, that we should be worshipping God. Uh, we uh, now have a, a further, uh, and are given this privilege to be able to worship God in a great understanding. Uh, this is not just the worship of heaven that is spoke about here, or worship that is taking part in heaven, but the worship that is spoken about in this psalm is the worship that should be now taking place on earth by his people, by ourselves, as we come before God to worship him. And then very lastly, in that last verse, it talks about the coming king, uh, and how that is an encouragement to each one of us, but also as a warning to, to us. So, the reason for worship. I've put here a new song for the work of salvation here. It, it starts off in, the, in, this, in this psalm by saying, Sing to the Lord a new song. And why is it telling us to sing a new song? Well, it tells us that in the, in the following few verses, it is because of the work of salvation. Now, I want to pick up a little bit on this phrase of a new song because that is not just a, an isolated phrase in the Bible, the phrase new song. We, we see this new song being referred to as quite, well, it's a couple of chapters earlier uh, in Psalms, but also in Revelations it is spoke about. In Revelations chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And it's speaking about the 24 elders that are before the throne worshipping God in heaven and it says, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So in, in heaven, in Revelation chapter 5, we see the 24 elders there are starting to sing a new song. Now, because we talk about a new song, that suggests that there is already some type of song. It's not necessarily a song that is no longer to be sung. It's not necessarily a song that has become out of date, but there is already a song, but now there is a new song as well. And I think we can start to find out what that original song is because if we go back a chapter in the book of Revelations we now see the elders singing the song the elders laid down their crowns and worshipped him and that sat on the throne the 24 elders fall down before him who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns before the throne and say you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. 
So the original song that the elders were singing in heaven, they were worshipping God because he was creator. And then this new song breaks out in heaven in the following chapter, and that is because Jesus Christ was the redeemer, the lamb that was slain. What is this psalm talking about? It's talking about a new song, and it's telling us to sing this new song because of redemption. Now, that idea is not isolated in Scripture. If we just have a look at the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, we read about the fourth commandment there, remembering to keep the Sabbath day holy. And in Exodus chapter 20, it tells us to keep the Sabbath day holy because God created the world and he created it in six days and then on the seventh day he rested. Well, so when we read the commandments through in Exodus chapter 20, we are told to remember the Sabbath day because of creation. But if we go forward to Deuteronomy where Moses is going through over a lot of the instructions that have been given out already, he again goes over the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And he tells them to keep the Sabbath day holy in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In verse 15 it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses is reminding the people about keeping the Sabbath day, their, their way of acknowledging and worship God under the law, they were doing it primarily, firstly, because God was creator, and then secondly, because of redemption. So there is sort of a, a, a double tone of why we worship God coming out here. We worship God because he is creator. And then we have this great privilege as, as we have been saved and we see God's redemption and salvation in our lives. We, we have this freedom and this liberty not to have a duty-bound worship to God creator, but to have a worship of adoration and, and because we want to worship God. Because he has saved us. We have a new song in our hearts. God is our saviour. He has saved me from sin. He has saved me from the terribleness of, this, of, of, of what sin is and, and the destruction of sin with hell. And we are given a new song. The old song still exists. We still, how did we feel when we were looking at video? When we saw those beautiful shots of the world and, and, and thought about God creating that. Did that not make you want to worship? But how much more are we driven to worship and have that freedom in worship because God has redeemed us and saved us? The two massive reasons for worship is he has made us and he has saved us. All people in the world are called to worship God because he is their creator. There is no reason why they should not but once we have been saved and our understanding is open, then our compellingness to worship him with a new song changes everything how we can come before him. Our salvation changes the duty of worship into our desire to worship. The king revealing himself through salvation. So salvation's plan... Now, 
I want to have a look a little bit about what it's talking about with the salvation here in these next few verses, next few verses because this is what is driving us into our, our, our freedom, our, our new song of worship. The, the subject that's being studied at the moment, the title I was given, was The King Revealed to the Nations. And the Lord, the King God, Jesus, he is revealing himself to the nations to be Lord and Saviour of nations. There will be no point in him revealing himself for any other reason unless it was just to bring things to an end and to close things down and to bring the final judgment. But the Lord is revealing himself to us. He's revealing himself through scriptures to us so that we may know salvation through him. There are people who do refuse to acknowledge him. And you know, God does not force himself on any person. God does not make people to bow down and worship him. He gives people that freedom to, to live their lives. They have got the wonderfulness of creation to see. Uh, there are incidents that happen in many people's lives where God, in a way, rescues them in situations, but people refuse to acknowledge who he is. But there will be a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will come, and when he is revealed to them fully so they cannot refuse who he is, they will then see him as their God and their judge. He will no longer be their saviour then, but he will be their God and their judge. And that is quite a, a, an astounding thought uh, of this happening. So, as we live our lives, how do we recognise God revealing himself to us? Is salvation being shown to us in many ways? Many people here who would say that they are Christians, that they have been saved, for that to have happened, God had to reveal himself to you in some way for you to be able to acknowledge who he was and to understand your eyes that sometime must have been opened and suddenly it dawned. Do you know, there's a lot of things that happen in our lives. Is it providence? Or is it just coincidence and chance? I was thinking a little bit about this and one of the thoughts I was thinking is why am I physically here as Stephen Moxon? You see, my grandma when she was born in 1906 she was declared stillborn and pushed under the bed on a board as they did do back then. And it was only because of an overzealous young doctor who wanted to have a go at resuscitation that pulled her out and was asking people what he would do in a situation where a babe was born like this if he wanted to try and revive it. And through him doing that, my grandma was revived. She lived to be 101. She gave birth to my mother. And that gave birth to me. What's the chance of me being here when you put a picture in place like that? Or you could say... Again, another story, my grandma, my grandma loved to tell stories. During World War II, she was going to go dancing in the city of Sheffield one night. And her friend that she was going with said, I'm not going because I don't feel very well. You go on without me. And my grandma said, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. She was a stubborn lady at times, but she said, if you're not going, I'm not going. If you're not well enough, I'm going to stay at home. And she stayed at home. That night, the dance hall was hit with a direct hit with a bomb, 
and everybody in it was killed. Why am I still here? You know, I could take it to my life. I, when I was younger, about 16, 17, I was climbing cliffs uh, in Cornwall. And I decided I could climb this cliff that was about 60, 70 foot maybe tall, straight off the sea on the rocks. And I climbed it. I got about two-thirds of the way up and I froze and freaked out and panicked. I, I just didn't know what to do. I looked down, I could see the sea on the rocks before me and I can remember this as plain as anything to this day clung onto this cliff on these bits of grass thinking I don't know what to do if I slip I'm dead and it's still quite a way up and there's no way anybody can rest nobody even knows I'm here and I don't know how somehow I managed to find the strength to get up there and you know I could tell you stories and stories of my life where do you know has somebody been saving rescuing keeping me in these ways through my life or is it just absolute all chance and coincidence but not only physical situations in that way there are, there are spiritual situations where things have happened I look back in my life and I've worked in shop floors I've worked in different places and there are times when I've looked back and I've been in situations and I've come out of situations and look back and think do you know what how come I didn't take a different track. How come those things that could have happened, that would have happened to anybody else who tells me the stories of their life, and they've gone down a different track of life, of either sleeping around or doing all sorts of different things, but somehow when my life has been in situations where it could have veered near things like that, it's almost as though there's been a guidance, a protection. I've just timed and I failed that, but there's times I look back and I think, God has been revealing himself to me personally in my life, taking me, protecting me, keeping me and allowing me to move forward. And I'm sure for many people they can look back in their lives and they can see how God has guided, protected and revealed himself to them so they, that they may know the work of salvation in their lives. Uh, there is a story right at the beginning of the Bible one of the very first stories about two men Cain and Abel uh, and Abel was a person who acknowledged who God was uh, and he knew God was and he knew how he should come before God and he brought an offering before God he brought his worship rightly before God and God accepted it but his brother Cain he refused to acknowledge the way that he should come before God and he'd rather do things his own way and he ended up murdering Abel then God did reveal himself to Cain and God showed who he was to Cain and God came as a judge to Cain and Cain was banished and punished Cain had refused to see the king of the, nation, of the nations being revealed to him his brother had seen it and I'm sure that Abel, uh, Cain had been more privileged with some of the stories from Adam and Eve, his, his parents, with uh, the realness of who God was uh, at that time when they'd known him face to face. But he had decided to, to disregard it. And he didn't want to know anything about the things that were being revealed to him. And he ended up with God and his judge. And you know, for some of us here, we may try and live our lives 
and God may take opportunities and times to reveal himself, to show himself, to guide us, protect us and afterwards we think, wow, what actually happened there because something unusual happened and deep down you probably think, hmm, God, that was God. But then we, we, we shut it out. We think, I don't want it, I haven't got time for it, I, I'm not sure about it. And we still want to carry on living lives our own way. I am convinced that God does show himself to all people in some way during their lives. And I'm convinced a lot of people absolutely ignore it and refuse to acknowledge it. As we look at the different bits of salvation that have been shown here, uh, well, as I say that, it doesn't actually speak directly about what the salvation is that is being talked about. He has done marvellous things, his right arm and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed the righteousness to the nations. He doesn't tell us actually, the psalmist, what he's talking about. Some people think that he's talking about the deliverance out of Egypt. Some people, as you read different commentaries, think that he's talking about the exile where, from Babylon, where they've been rescued from Babylon. But it, it, it's very... It doesn't specifically say one thing. It, 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 it could quite easily refer to the flood. It could just as easily return to the many times that God intervened with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob's lives. It could quite easily refer to Joseph and the famine in Egypt. It could refer to the deliverance of Egypt. Could you talk about them many times in the wilderness when God rescued uh, the nation of Israel and saved them from many different situations. It could talk about the battles that had happened in the land of Canaan when they first went into Canaan and all the enemies were around the Israelites. It could talk about David and Goliath. It could go on. It could be talking about any situation as we read this of what the, the people are speaking about. It, it sort of it leaves it open. And you know, we could even read it and look at it and think, well no, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to nations and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. And we could quite easily look at that and say, this is talking about the salvation that came through the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. The psalmist doesn't pinpoint it to any specific event. And that, because of that, it makes it so relevant to us today. So relevant to us today to be able to look at this and think about our lives, the way the Lord has intervened, and particularly about that time when we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and we have been saved. Salvation with God is... It's not just a one-off thing that happened. Salvation really is a type of constant thing. Yes, there is that time when we are truly trusting Christ and we become a Christian, would be our words, and we are saved. But as we live our lives, God is constantly saving. God was constantly saving Israel from their enemies. Part of it was their fault because they... They, they, they disobeyed God and ignored him at times and often got into trouble. But how many times do we get ourselves into situations, even as Christians, and God intervenes and in a way, not the saving from sin, but saves us again. God is absolutely in the business of saving people and keeping people and preserving people. There's an old quote 
I'm not sure where it comes from, that says, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Salvation is what God is about. It's the primary message throughout all the Bible, that God is a God of salvation. And it is through salvation that God makes himself known to each one of us. And it is that what gives us desire to sing the new song, the new song of worship. I'm going to move on now to the next part of the song, which talks a little bit about worship. I've called this, Now is the Time to Worship. In Psalm 150, verse 6, it says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Quite a well-known verse, most of us know it. And when I read through these verses in the psalm, where it talks about the different ways that the Lord is being praised and sang to, this in a sort of way says, Let everything in creation praise the Lord. It is a picture language that the psalmist is using. And sometimes with picture language, sometimes we've just got to try and understand it in its simplest term and not get too com- complex at all. But basically, there is a command here that all are to worship. And what it doesn't tell us is how do we worship? And often with worship today, and as I've grown up through many different organisations with many different young people who like to discuss and debate things, how worship should happen was always a hot topic. Is it quiet? Or is it loud? Is it spoken? Is it sung? Is it led? Is it impulsive? Is it expressive? Or is it impassive? Is it emotional? Or is it unemotional? Well, do you know what? It doesn't tell us. And do you know what? That doesn't really matter. These are all red herrings. The fact that we worship is the thing that we should do. There is these expressive pictures that we've got in the Psalms. It talks about the clapping waters of the rivers. Let the rivers clap their hands. It talks about the howling wind through the mountains, where it talks about let the mountains sing together. It speaks about the resounding sound of the waves of the sea, and it says let the seas resound. It talks about the jubilant swaying of the ripened grain in the fields. It says let the fields be jubilant. These are from Psalm 96, some of these. It talks about the rustling wind through the forest trees. It says all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. In the natural expressions of these types of pictures of worship, everything's doing their thing that is right for them to do. It's the rivers, as they clap, are clapping their hands. And it's the wind that's howling through the mountains that's making the mountains sing together. And I think sometimes we get tied up that everything should be the same or we've got the idea. When there is lots of ways which is individual uh, and down to individuals and down to cultures and down to lots of different things uh, of how worship should happen. Worship should be natural to the environment of the people that are worshipping. It should also be right for the context of what worship is happening. 
we would talk about the Lord's table or communion and our worship there would probably be more reflective. Sometimes we may go to gathering. I've been to Spring Arvid gatherings in the past. Uh, and there it can be quite lively or loud and it seems right that it is like that there. Different groups of people will naturally have different styles. Different age groups will naturally have different tastes for types of music. Different countries and people groups will have different ways. All individuals will be different in the way they are and the way they feel, which will, which will affect how that worship happens. So let us be careful not to judge the ways people worship. Because some people are more expressive, some people are less expressive. But what about where we worship? That can be a question. Do we need to be in a sanctified building? Do we need to be in a church? In John chapter 4, there is a conversation that happens between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. uh, And Jesus basically says, the time is coming not about where you worship, whether it will be in Samaria or, or in Jerusalem, but it's how you worship, that you worship in spirit and in truth, that is important because he finishes off in verse 24 and says God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we look into this psalm we can see that what is important is that we are worshipping the Lord. Nothing else at all. It must only be the Lord himself. In this short psalm we see that in verse 1 it says sing to the Lord a new song. Verse 4 it says shout for joy to the Lord. Verse 5 it says make music to the Lord. 6 shout for joy before the Lord the King. Number 9 let them sing before the Lord. All the worship of this psalm is directed only to the Lord and nowhere else. So there's lots of different types of worship as we read through that as it talks about the different types of trees and mountains and rivers and different things. But the worship in here talking about salvation is I would pick out a sort of a triumphant type of worship at at, at this point. Uh, And it's focused and it's fitting for the situation and it's fitting for its time and its culture. That worship is right for then. The description of the worship, I would say here, is inclusive. It is not exclusive. And I think many times the church has been pushing an exclusive type of worship that it should only be done like this, when worship should not be like that. Worship is inclusive of everybody, everything. I carefully say every way, and it's only to the Lord. There are times when worship is quiet and sombre and reflective. This is natural. When World War II ended, I wasn't there, but I'm led to believe there were many street parties and lots of jubilations and celebrations happening at the victory that had happened, that the war had finished. But what I do know is that every year we have a remembrance service where we have silence as well. So there are when we come before our God, the great conqueror, the one who has brought that salvation, 
There are times for jubilant worship with what he's done, but there are times for reflective worship. So the passage does not really focus on how, but shows that the source of the worship is the, whole of the, is the earth, all the people of the earth, all the earth should worship God. The recipient of the worship is the Lord. We worship, in this case, a new song is about the salvation in this particular psalm, but we do know that we should worship him because he's our creator as well. And our worship, this psalm talks about constantly. Our salvation is shown, we start to worship, and we continue to worship because we are looking forward to a coming king, it speaks about at the end. So our lives should be worship. We've been worshipping here at church all afternoon, whether we've been singing, whether we've been praying, whether we've been reading God's word, whether we've been reflecting on things that reminded us of God, whether we're listening to a, a, a preacher. All of this is accepted worship before God. So we are able to live our lives right before God in all ways that is accepted worship. But I must say there is a warning on this that not everything is permitted. This is not about preferences of worship and this is not being about nitpicking of how people worship but it's about doing what is right and honest before the Lord when we come before him. There's a couple of passages in the scripture, many more we could think of, but two are point brought out here. In Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 to 2, Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, uh, they took strange fire and worshipped the Lord with strange fire that they were not supposed to do and they died for that. They tried to worship the Lord in their own new idea way that was a non-permitted way. And then we see in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter five uh, two people, Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their land to give the money to God. That is an act of worship, to give to God. But they did it deceitfully. They wanted it to look right on the outside, by that they were giving their money, but secretly keeping some back. They could have quite easily said, I've sold my land, here's half the money. But they said, I've sold my land, here's all the money, but kept half back. Their worship was deceitful and again they were punished and they died for their sins there. So while worship, we shouldn't be judging and, and all worship is right, we must be careful that it is honest and right before God and the way that he expects it to be. So to come to an end now, we've got this last verse in here that talks about the coming king. And as we who know the salvation of God, have received God's salvation, know what it's like to be saved, we look forward to the coming of the King in a way of great expectation, of joy, as almost a relief that's coming to us as we will be rescued from this world. And as we look forward to that and we look back at our salvation and we look at our where the, God is preserving us and saving us constantly through our lives, this should infuse us even more to worship. It's not a dead end, it is something glorious yet to come as the Lord returns and takes us home, as we see him one day face to face. Our, and, and knowing that we will see him as somebody who's saved, does this not infuse us, encourage us? Should this not enrich the way we worship God? 
we look forward to his righteous judgment coming. And as those who have been saved and are covered by the blood of Jesus and that judgment has already been taken by Jesus, we look forward to that because do we not feel the injustices in this world? Do we not feel the pain of those people that seem to be doing stuff and seem to be getting away with stuff and are blatantly ignoring God Creator and God the Saviour? But we look forward to it. And how much more should we want to now worship God? He saved us. But he's coming in all righteousness and truth to judge the world in truth and righteousness and things will be made right. And how that should encourage and lift our worship of the coming King. But this verse does speak about that he will judge the world in righteousness and that he's going to judge every person. It's a personal thing. And we have to say that we do need to take heed. Those that need to take heed of this warning in this last verse are those who are refusing to worship. There are people who will refuse to acknowledge who God is and they will refuse to worship him. They see the creation around them and they refuse acknowledge God in creation there will I've no doubt been times in their lives when something will have happened which will have made that thinking happen and they will say I still refuse God I still refuse God to be my saviour I will not acknowledge God I will not take him as saviour I refuse to worship him there will be people like that and those are the people that will be judged by God for rejecting him as creator and rejecting him as saviour but there is a day when he will come and they will have to bow the knee they will have to worship Jesus as king they will have to pronounce Jesus as lord in Philippians chapter 2, it says that God has, has highly exalted Jesus and given him a place that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We now have the choice to come before God and worship him because we've seen his creation and we can know his salvation or we can reject that and one day be forced to kneel down and worship him but he will then be our judge so just to conclude and wrap things up worship of the Lord is everything and should be our everything we worship him for his marvellous creation that he has given us to enjoy and the very fact he has made us. We worship him because of his invaluable work of salvation in our redemption. And we worship him because he's coming back to take us into that perfect eternity. We worship him because he is the Lord. Thank you.